Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, and uh, welcome to another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and uh, double Toronto duty today. This is really nice, and especially given that it's, uh, Pierre, what's the temperature outside your uh, ongoing construction zone of a home? What are you, minus 20, minus 30 Fahrenheit? About, what, what do you uh, I don't know, Dregs, what do you think? It's about minus 16 Celsius, I think, today. Uh, I don't know what that Celsius. is. Celsius? What is that? Well, it's, it's what the rest of the world is on, <laughs> other than America. <laughs> uh, and joining uh, Pierre Lebrun as always, a tr- terrific treat. Darren Dreger, longtime hockey analyst, former Gemini Award winner, and expert in backyard rink construction and maintenance. Darren Dreger, thanks for joining us. How, and uh, what's the state of the uh, backyard rink? I assume you still have one, right? I, I don't. I actually have a backyard pond now. Uh, ah, okay. You know, because we, we moved a few years back, and uh, the pond, provided Mother Nature, you know, continues to cooperate in the fashion that she is now, uh, it works pretty nicely. But, you know, my, my kids, one is 19 in second year university, the other one is 17, and he's uh, still going hard and midget AAA hockey, so... They don't spend a whole lot of time on the pond anymore, sadly. <laughs> That's a sign of the age. Darren and Pierre, we're going to get to uh, the, the, the big news of the week and trade buzz and all that kind of stuff. But Darren, I was, I was just curious. How many trade deadlines will this be for you, roughly? Do you, I don't know if you've kept track of this. Yeah. How many trade deadlines? Uh, well, I started a network television in Toronto back in 1998. And... Uh, I think we went a year or two without any of the hoopla, right? I mean, it was a recognized day, of course. Uh, and there were a few of us, um, you know, an honored member of the Hall of Fame, Scotty Morrison and I would man the phones. Nick Kiprios was on the team back then. And if something would break, we'd just jump on, on set and do a quick update. So it took probably two, three years before everyone in the Canadian network television realized that there was a, an appetite for, you know, continued live coverage of all of this. And you guys are going to laugh out loud, but the trade that actually shook the hockey world was Sven Budenshan. Um, and I don't even remember. I don't even remember where Sven got traded to. Maybe he was traded out of Pittsburgh or to Pittsburgh, but it happened at like 8.45 in the morning. And I think uh, either Bob McKenzie and Gord Miller, Bob McKenzie and someone else at TSN jumped on live to announce this big trade. And, you know, then both networks went, oh, no, there, there's opportunity here for us to go to war and uh, crank up ratings and get the ad buyers involved and all of that. So in terms of the bigger picture, you know, the, the full experience and all the bells and whistles, I think I've been doing it for, you know, probably 20 plus years, somewhere around there for sure. Yeah. Pierre, so you've been doing it a long time as well with your dual role between The Athletic and and TSN for a long time. But one of my favorite, a couple of years towards the end of the ESPN run, we did trade deadline in Toronto so we could basically ride your coattails. And uh, they put us in that weird garage out back and uh, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes somebody would turn the lights on, sometimes it wouldn't be on. But it was fascinating to be just even on the periphery of, of what what happens on trade deadline day at TSN and I you know I'm I'm assuming it's very similar at Sportsnet and uh, RDS and 
uh, all of the, the the main Canadian competitors. Pierre, do you look so? Do you look forward to this, or is this nerve wracking time, or what's the you know what's it like for you as as a as a player in that uh, in that drama? I look forward to the next day. Is what I look forward to. <laughs> I always Why look forward call- to dinner that night. <laughs> I think Bob McKenzie coined the term for the month of March, right, Driggs? That's uh... yep. <laughs> Mail it in March. Mail it in March. <laughs> no, I, you know it's fun. I mean, listen, it gets our juices going, and the Jake Muzzin deal Monday got our juices going, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's what we get paid to do, and we're lucky to do it. I mean, as I always wow. like to say, whenever I feel stressed, or especially at this time of year, although I would, I've been arguing this for a couple of years, I actually think late June. Heading into July first has has been become an even bigger moment in the industry in terms of teams really uh, reshaping their rosters and 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 the kind of news that comes out at that time of year. But that's a you know reflective of the salary cap system. But I always like to say whenever I, I you know I get irritated during the month of February chasing all this news, I'm lucky I don't have a real job for a living. So I'm always reminded yeah. of that. My my father instilled that in me a long time ago. And uh, I'll tell you one thing. I worked a lot of trade deadlines, especially back in my days at CP, trying to match stuff that Darren Dreger and Bob McKenzie were putting out there. So it's certainly been a lot more fun joining them as teammates uh, eight years eight years ago. Eight years ago, Dregs. My goodness. I know. Otherwise. Well, I'll tell you what, too, fellas. And I joke about it on an annual basis. And Pierre, you're right. I mean, July 1st has turned into as aggressive a day and time as uh, the NHL trade deadline. But... I often joke, you know, when you get past the trade deadline, it takes me the better part of 10, 11 months to repair some of the damage that you do (laughs) leading up to and through the trade deadline because you literally carpet bomb your sources. Yeah, I mean, general managers, um, you know, assistant general managers, executive scouts, players, I mean, they've had enough of us by the time that deadline bell rings at three o'clock Eastern on deadline day, uh, because you know, we're just following up leads and tips and doing what you have to do to try and break the story. Well, it's, Pierre, you mentioned that in this funny Darren and I, and Pierre and I have talked about this almost every year that it comes up, but that you do need to, when it, you know, when all is said and done to, to go back and say, <clears throat> listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I called you 10 times in five minutes. Yeah yesterday at midnight or whatever it was leading up to it. But my sense is, Pierre, maybe you can address this. Those, those, those people, and they, they're almost all guys, but those guys understand the nature of the business and they're watching you as well, right? I mean, there, it's sort of a symbiotic yeah. relationship because they're watching you to see what you're coming up with and what your other sources are saying. And, and I, it, my sense of it is, Pierre, correct me if I'm wrong, but that there really is, everyone's in it until that bell goes and then everyone steps back and, and takes a, a breath or, or do you find that people are some people are like really i i don't like you anymore <laughs> or like okay don't call me for a month <laughs> uh it's been it's been okay i mean you always yeah. try to keep it respectful our, our favorite saying uh on our set uh, when when the text messages don't seem to be getting the desired result we'll say cold call cold call <laughs> we, just, we go we go old school and try to reach the source uh, directly and and that's not always yeah. appreciated but uh that's a lot of fun i mean you know again the, the you know the reality is trade deadline day it's still busy but as you saw with the muzzin deal on monday has that has a decent chance of being toronto's biggest move of the season uh, until the off season of yeah. course so 
So it's not all in the same day anymore. I mean, teams are trying to get ahead of it when they can, and um, and so the news certainly gets spread out. Well, and I think because of the social media endeavors and advancements uh, of, of sport in general, not just the National Hockey League, I, I think that most executives and, and team employees get it now. They, they realize that we work in an immediate world, and you know they've got a choice. They can either, either answer that text, ignore it or answer the call or ignore it. I mean, it's, it's pretty much that simple, but I can remember a time uh, and I, I, I believe it was Yanni Minima getting traded from the Islanders to the Edmonton Oilers. And somehow this landed in my lap. So I break the trade and I believe Kevin Lowe was the general manager at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And there was some serious infighting back and forth to the point where uh, I believe uh, the Oilers were, were threatening to pull the deal off the table um, because it had gotten public. And, you know, now teams are, you know, some teams are still very respectful of that trade call. And that's why you'll hear us often say, you know, on deadline day, pending trade call, because things can go sour and the details can uh, be screwed up and, and deals historically have been next or have had to be redone. Uh, but, the managers and all those involved aren't nearly as sensitive now as they might have been years ago. Right. Well, I remember <clears throat> that was, uh, I mean, it's happened a couple of times, uh, but certainly, you know, with, uh, I think of Jerome McGinley, who was, yeah. you know, rumored to be going to Boston, ended up in Pittsburgh. And then of course, later ended up in Boston, but it is Good a, <clears throat> it's very fluid. <laughs> right? yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, uh, Scotty. That was, well, uh, no, it's just, <clears throat> that was a nice I, little uh, TSN moment, and and and. Uh, well, no, I wasn't throwing. I wasn't throwing stones at anybody's house. No, no, I'm no. Just saying I, I mean, happened. it's it's worth telling the story because we were all involved, and uh, I mean, Aaron Ward, our former colleague, always wears the goat horns. But the reality is, myself, Dregs, Bobby Mack, we were all involved that that night, and and of course, as it would later come out, the Bruins themselves thought they had a trade for Jerome Ginnell to the point where. They informed ownership that they were getting Jerome McGinley. And, of course, as we all found out uh, later on, McGinley did not wave for Boston that day, and, and they had to ship him out to uh, Pittsburgh. It was a wacky, wacky night. And, and again, that goes, that goes to the point of what Jake just said about pending trade call. And I, I, I think of Sergei Bobrovsky heading into February 25th right now with his full no move. I always find out, you know, has he signed off? Has he has he waived? And and those things can get tricky, especially at the eleventh hour. Well, you, you're, I mean, that's the <clears throat> and again, as as Darren had mentioned, with, with the changes in social media and that, you know, I'm the, a the pressure to get it out, but also the fact that things could get out from all kinds of sources and have a public yeah. airing. It may not be coming from you guys, but someone somewhere along the line tweets it out, and all of a sudden it's out there in the. Twitter sphere, if we, uh, that's a term, and <clears throat> and you have to react to it, or and people, you know, they, they take whatever they see or read uh, as gospel yeah. in these moments, and it's uh, anyway, it, it's uh, it, it's a stressful thing. Um, but let's move a couple mentions, of course, of the Jake Muzzin deal between the Los Angeles Kings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, Darren, let's start with you. I'm interested not just in the arrival of. You know, one of the premier defensemen who was on the market, but and Pierre has alluded to it, just how quickly in the 
in the schedule, uh, how early uh, in advance of the uh, February 25th trade deadline this deal gets done and how what kind of dividends that might pay for Mike Babcock and, and the Leafs and, and maybe what the potential domino effect of Muzzin's acquisition by the Leafs might have. Well, firstly, I mean, Kyle Dubas, the general manager of the Maple Leafs, paid a premium to jump the market. And uh, I don't think that Toronto, you know, really fully wanted to include, you know, first round draft pick. They were willing, provided that they were getting the right piece. And, you know, when push came to shove, yeah, they didn't get their right shot defenseman. They got a left shot, Jake Muzzin, who's uh, a high quality defenseman. But they decided that it wasn't worth the wait and they couldn't be left empty handed. So, you know, even though as late as Sunday, Dubas still didn't like the asking price, which was a first and Carl Grundstrom and Dursey, uh, who's, uh, I'm told, a B-grade prospect, still a very good prospect, you know, he, he had to pay it and made the shrewd decision to pay it. Now, the question is, you know, can Jake Muzzin be that, that right-side defenseman that Mike Babcock and the Maple Leafs coveted and have looked, searched high and low for, for several months? And we're going to find that out. The truth is, Babcock and the Maple Leafs don't know, but Muzzin's going to get an opportunity because... You know, it, it provides good balance for Toronto if Muzzin can play that right side with Morgan Riley. You hope that Zaitsev, you know, kind of exercises some of the demons that have plagued his game this year with Jake Gardner. So if that pairing can get their stuff together, uh, then you've got, you know, the mentoring role of, of Ron Hainsey with an up-and-comer in Travis Dermott. So, you know, they didn't get the right shot guy. They paid a high price, but they got a very good defenseman. So I think overall Toronto was pretty pleased with how things look on their blue line. Pierre, do you, do you believe in this? And then you addressed it. <clears throat> it was more sort of the, with the Western Conference in mind with the teams like Nashville and Winnipeg that might be targeting similar type players in terms of, of bolstering their roster by the trade deadline. But when you look at the Eastern Conference and the Leafs were already in that elite group, I think, in spite of a bit of a slide heading into the All-Star break. But do, do you think that this ups the the ante or the urgency for whether it's Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh or whether it's Julian Brisebois in Tampa or uh, Don Sweeney in Boston, any of the teams that are, you know, and there aren't all that many. I like to me, there's a much greater divide between the haves and the have nots this season, but of that group, especially in the Eastern conference, does this early move by the Leafs, do you think it adds to the urgency or is do each of these teams, do you consider them in a vacuum kind of? Yeah. I asked that question to David Poyle over the weekend and, and, you know, about whether you can allow yourself to be influenced by what a rival does. And he he insisted that you can't do that. And yet he said it's funny how when the first big deal happens, how it seems to be a dom- domino effect. So I think what he's saying is it, it's hard to ignore. I mean, if the Jets go out and beat him to the punch here in the next couple of weeks, I guarantee you David Poyle's going to respond. I mean, the Predators are in win-now mode. Uh, they're looking at some of the same players that Winnipeg is, quite frankly, and they know that they're going to probably play them in the second round again. So, I mean, I know Kevin Sheveldayoff doesn't want to be affected by what David Poyle does, but I don't know how, if you're a human being, how you don't know what your number one rival is is up to. So, I mean, the same will hold true, I think, in the Pacific. I mean, I think the Sharks are in a bit of a unique position where they, they're, they're out this year's first and next year's first round pick because of deals for Evander Kane and Eric Carlson. So in many ways, I think internally at their scouting meetings, they talked about the fact that maybe Carlson is really their biggest trade deadline deal already, but they made it in September. 
Um, I still think Doug Wilson's track record suggests he might poke around at, at, at maybe some medium-type rentals. I wonder about a Marcus Johansson or Brian Boyle in New Jersey, for example. But Vegas and Calgary eyeing each other for sure. I mean, George McPhee is a trade deadline maverick. We know that. And Vegas has been all in since the day they got a team. <laughs> and and the Calgary Flames are in first place. And, and I think they'd like that up front. So I, I think it's hard not to think that all these teams aren't eyeing each other. And now that the Leafs have acted in the Atlantic, you know, the Boston Bruins, as you know, Driggs and I have talked about, I mean, they would love to add a top six forward. I think they need more secondary scoring behind that superstar top line. Um, and so I think they've kicked the tire on a million rentals. I mean, from Michael Furland to, I mean, I'm sure they've already called Columbus to find out what the heck's going on with, with Panarin after the news this week. The Bruins are going to act in some way or another before the deadline. But it's also because internally they felt they had to act anyway. I don't think it's because the Leafs went out and got Jake Muzzin. Right. Well, Darren, let me, do you, especially now with the, as you pointed out, the Leafs paying a premium for Jake Muzzin, do you, do you think this really sort of creates a seller's market where, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, Jake Muzzin's not the perfect fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's, and we're going to find out whether he's a good fit or where he is on that spectrum. But does this, do you think, create a seller's market where teams, and there are already a lot of teams who are cooked as far as the playoffs, right? There's a lot of sellers out yeah. there, but with with good potential game-changing assets, whether it's a top six forward, maybe it's top four or five defensemen, a couple of teams maybe looking to shore up their goaltending. Do you think this deal then sets a market where where it's going to cost teams that want to add at the deadline maybe more than they'd like to, to, to pay? And if so, does it does it maybe affect how how many deals get done or, or how do you see it playing out given the Muslim? Yeah, it could. Uh, you know, let's use Ottawa as an example. Uh, you know, the Ottawa Senators are, are wrestling with two major pieces, of course, in, in Mark Stone and, and Matt Duchesne. And, you know, I could be wrong, but my sense is I, I think they're going to struggle to get both those guys signed. So, um, you know, what's that going to take? That's consuming Pierre Dorian. But all of a sudden, the Muzzin trade happens, and the Los Angeles Kings get, again, uh, a valued package coming back with that first and two decent prospects. Well, Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators are looking at what they've got in Cody Ceci and recognizing that you know, they're going to have to give somewhere else. You know, if their focus is on Duchesne and Stone, and, and even if they're successful in signing Stone, then they've got a great commodity they can move in, uh, in Matt Duchesne. So even though you're comparing a centerman to a defenseman, there still a, is, is a basis. And the difference, I guess, beyond the position is the fact that Duchesne would also be you know, perceived as, as a rental player. Uh, but Ottawa is very much a budget team. So I think when Rob Blake landed what he landed from the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think that kicked Dorian into gear to say, all right, let's, let's get into the game here with Cody Ceci. Uh, Cody Ceci is that right shot defenseman. He's younger. He's 25. He hasn't had a great year in Ottawa, but there still has to be a strong market for him. So I think that that most definitely got the juices flowing in Ottawa. And, you know, Pierre touched on Mike Furland and the Carolina Hurricanes. And if I'm Donnie Waddell, I'm sitting with a smile on my face. I mean, we've talked a lot over the last several weeks about the possibility of a Brett Pesci or a Dougie Hamilton or a Justin Falk trade in Carolina. I mean, those are three really good D-men, you know, two right-shot guys. So, 
you know, if, if you are a seller, then at least when it comes to defense, you know, the market has been established. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but I would think that's where the ask would start for potentially Carolina and Ottawa. Carolina's a bit different because he, you know, Donnie Waddell would like to get a roster player. You know, we know we need scoring. That's been much publicized, but uh, I do think that there is now a bit more of a trade standard based on what we saw between Toronto and L.A. Yeah, and I think because, uh, you know, Hamilton, Falk, and, and Pesci, as you guys know, are all signed past this year. They're not rentals, so... I think the position that Carolina is in to some degree is that, yeah, maybe there's finally that deal there for a top six forward before February 25th for one of those 3D. But if not, they can wait till the June draft, right? I mean, that, that, that's the, I mean, I think that's why Rob Blake ended up getting his price bet. You know, a lot of people weren't sure that he would get a first plus plus. And, you know, I think Grunstrom, the main prospect, the Leafs, that the Leafs traded to LA is, all the scouts yeah. I talk to think he's going to be a third-line player at best, but a good third-line player. But, so that's still a decent package when you when you got a first-round pick involved. But the point is, you're, it, because Muzzin wasn't a rental player, it does allow the selling team to say, this is my price. And if you don't meet it, I'll wait, I'll wait till the offseason. You know, last year, Mark Bergevin had Max Petcheretti dangling at the trade deadline. But decided to pull him back because nobody stepped up with the kind of offer he thought he wanted. And he didn't trade him until September. But in September, he got a three-asset haul from the Vegas Golden Knights from Max Pacioretty. So when a guy's not a rental, it does, at this time of year, it gives you the luxury of saying, should I wait? And, and, we yeah. maybe, and maybe we'll see some of these teams who have guys that are assigned past this year decide they're not getting what's right here in, in the next month. That's the, you know, like you asked, Scotty, has the price been set with, with what L.A. paid? Not really, because a lot of the players that are going to move in the next three and a half weeks are rental players, and, and Jake Muzzin's not a rental player. Well, let me, uh, <clears throat> just before we bring the first segment to a close, and let me ask both of you this, that, that uh, and you mentioned uh, last year, Max Pacioretty, sure, his name was out there, Eric Carlson. I mean, it looked like, you know, until the very last minute, he might end up in Vegas at the trade deadline. Of course, that didn't happen um, until we were coming into this the, this current season. So, but I wonder now with, again, I think a much greater definition between uh, teams that are already thinking to next year. And there are a lot, I think a lot more than in the past where the playoff races were maybe a lot more jumbled to use your uh, uh, favorite phrase, Pierre, that crushed beer can standings. We get a lot more teams that are already like, okay, we're, you know, I mean, barring some sort of miracle, we are out of it. And I wonder if you think that that means that teams that we might just see, we might see more of those deals get done before the trade deadline as opposed to waiting until June, or is there any way to, to, to read those tea leaves uh, given the way the standings are a little bit different? Yeah, I, for me, I, it, it depends on the team that we're looking at. And, you know, there is history with certain general managers. You know, let's use Jimmy Rutherford and the Penguins as an example. You know, Jimmy's already done some tinkering, you know, this season well in advance of the trade deadline. We know that Derek Broussard is in play. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't get moved in the next few weeks, um, you know, in advance of February 25th. And, and Jimmy likes to do his business a, ahead of time. And, we know they're looking for a forward. If he moves Broussard, he needs a center. Otherwise, you know, he still wants to add. And moving Alexiak back to the Dallas Stars has freed up a little bit of cap space for him to maneuver with. So, you know, there's a team that we have to keep an eye on, again, prior to the deadline because of the history of, of Jim Rutherford. And I want to look at the New York Rangers as well. You know, 
since our trade bait board on tsn.ca was put up there, I think there's been three or four New York Rangers on it from day one. You know, Kevin Hayes, it's Zuccarello, uh, it's McQuaid, and you know now you've got some interesting names in, in Chris Kreider and Nemestikov on that list. Uh, and I think that Jeff Gordon uh, has a strong appetite to move, if not all of those guys, uh, as many as he can as they retool, you know, in Manhattan. So you can't get all of that work. When you're talking about multiple players on one team, you can't do all of that on deadline day. There's just, there's not enough time. You end up, if you're trading Chris Kreider, that's a significant deal. The return is going to be really, really strong. That takes time to negotiate and manage. And for me, many of those deals get done in advance because that's where your focus is. But, but Scotty, I, I think your, your argument about more teams already being sellers this year, it's not completely true. I mean, it is in the East where there's arguably six teams already in selling mode. I mean, the Rangers, Florida, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Detroit, and Ottawa all know they're not going to make the playoffs. So, so you're right on that end. But not in the West. In the West, you have seven teams separated by three points for the Turtle wildcard race. So you can say all you want that the Blues should be selling or not selling or, or what's going to happen with Edmonton after firing Peter Shirelli and Arizona. The injuries, surely the injuries will catch up to Arizona. But at the end of the day, they are still just a couple of points out. So you can't, I don't know that you can afford to sell. You're certainly not going to add, but you, I don't know that you can sell until you probably closer to February 25th when you really know where you are in, in this race. I mean, it's, it's crazy that race in the West. Right. Although I would argue that, you know, if you are, you know, in, in Edmonton's already sort of their die is cast, right? I mean, they, there is an urgency to make the playoffs there, given all that's happened uh, with the firing of both a coach and a GM and this uh, uproar over how the team is wasting the best young player of his generation, maybe the best player in the NHL and Connor McDavid. But, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, I, I, to me, if you're St. Louis and you realize that you've still got to jump four teams, even though you're still yeah, this as we're chatting here, just three points out. I mean, is St. Louis really, I mean, the, the points can be a mirage. The reality is, uh, is St. Louis likely to make the playoffs? Uh, no, I would say they're, they're not, but you know, you, I guess at some point you make that decision. Maybe you don't make it now, but um, I guess you, you, at the end of the day, if there's a deal to be made now and you're St. Louis and you don't make it, what, what's the level of regret that you might have? Yeah. I mean, it's a good one. I, I, I don't know if the if, if the word is regret or just pure anger or frustration <laughs> from Doug Armstrong's office because you know he did a lot of building I would say in the off season bringing in some key pieces and it just has not worked out inexplicably but um, you know I, I I think Armstrong is still wrestling with where does he find his goaltending upgrade you know does he just keep his powder dry and see what happens you know with Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, leading up to the deadline, or certainly as an unrestricted free agent in the summer, you know, could Cam Talbot of the Edmonton Oilers be perceived as an upgrade to what they have in goal in St. Louis? Those are the decision, uh, decisions for me that Armstrong has to wrestle with, um, because there's not a whole lot more outside of attacking his core and and maybe moving out a piece like one of his top D or you know Tarasenko or something significant like that. Uh, I think for the most part they. They like their team. They just, for whatever reason, can't find the goaltending and most definitely can't get consistent goaltending. So whether or not you can add that goaltending piece between now and the deadline, I think is a tall ask. It might be more of the work that Armstrong has to do in the offseason. 
Yeah, and again, it's a, you know the Blues are an example of a team where the the urgency of February twenty fifth is 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 pending UFAs that are walking out in, into July first, and you get nothing in return. So the Blues actually don't have that many. Patrick Maroon and Carl Gunnarsson are truly the only two rental players they have. Um, Jay Boomister's up, but he's got a full no trade, and probably, and I don't know if the Blues would want to treat him differently given his time spent there. But so my point is, if and Dregs is right. I mean, the Blues have listened on all these guys, obviously, as, as we've talked about all year. But, you know, whether you're getting offers on Braden Shen, who signed for another year, these are all decisions that can wait if you think you still have a chance to make the playoffs. You can wait till the offseason to re- remake your roster again if you want it. Yeah, good point. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun for the second segment of Two Men Advantage, the podcast. But don't go away. We'll be right back. I, you know, one of the, the Pierre, we've talked often this season about what's gone on in Columbus. And again, the Blue Jackets, I'm sure that they would like not to make news one week of the regular season. <laughs> but uh, once again, you know, with our Temi Panarin uh, and his agent basically uh, confirming what I think a lot of us had expected would happen. Um, although with the billboards and his strong season, I think there had been maybe a glimmer of hope that there might be a way to get him uh, extended in Columbus, but that's uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. As, as he's made it clear, he won't discuss his future with anyone, as I understand it, until the off season. And, and now, the, sort of the um, you know the the line in the sand once again drawn for GM Yarmo Kekalainen in, in terms of okay, well, you we know that the potential is that Panarin, along with Sergei Bobrovsky, will both leave uh, July first as unrestricted free agents. And um, uh, Pierre, let's start with you. This this notion of, of of being both a buyer and a seller, it certainly adds to the uh, workload for a guy like Yarmol Kekalainen. And I wonder if it, do you view Columbus differently given what has come out this week? Uh, or is this how you expect it would play out uh, all along? Yeah, and they didn't respond great after the news, although they played a very good Buffalo team, but losing at home to the Sabres last night. Exactly. And, um, yeah. And you mentioned a point I forgot to make uh, when we talked about Panarin on insider trading on TSN last night. But uh, a wrinkle to all of this is that Panarin, not only is he saying through his agent Dan Milstein, he's not signing with the Jackets here during the year. He's not signing with anyone. He, he's So I think what we're supposed to read into the statement is that this, the, the, there's no... There's no inclination here to sign with a new team either through the trade process, which, of course, would net the uh, Blue Jackets even more if that had been the case. So, really, uh, the decision for GM Yarmo Kekalinen is either to make Artemi Panarin his own rental and to go for it, or to uh, to make him the the, the most highly uh, the most highly sought after rental winger of the year, which he would be, I think. And I think. I think at the end of the day, they will trade him. I could be wrong. Um, but I just think that the kind of packages that are going to be thrown at him for this talented player, I, I think they're going to have to take those assets. Some of them they can turn around and try and go get, you know, make a hockey deal and and, and go get a Ford because I, that's exactly it. I think he's going to be a buyer and a seller. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be delicate. It's going to be stressful. And at the end of the day, I find it hard to believe they'll be as good a team this year without Panarin, no matter what. You know, no matter who they bring in, but uh, probably going to be hard to ignore the kind of assets that that are going to be thrown at him for for Panarin. I think. 
Darren, do you, do you do you agree, or is this how you figured it might play out all all the way along? Because there was a sort of a period where you know Panarin seemed just in you know from afar in in terms of his yeah. you know sort of body language and how he was dealing with the media. Like it was, he, it seemed like he and Sergei Bobrovsky were definitely at, at different ends of the spectrum, even though they're on the same plane. Um, but this is this is clear, seems to have cleared up any kind of um you know trying to read the tea leaves i mean the, it's yeah. it's been pretty defined now yeah I, I i would agree with you scotty i i think that you know milstein and uh, in this case artemi Panarin, players in general when you're talking about top end guys it's tough to make sound comparisons but i i do think that many learn from the experience of john tavares uh the new york islanders and uh, pat Brisson, who who represents John Tavares and, and manage that process. And, you know, yeah, I mean, Islanders fans will look back and although they're having a wonderful year, I think for the most part, that process was done in an amicable fashion. And so there's no reason in creating animosity. And as you get closer to the second half, well, you're in the second half, but I mean, right beyond the, the trade deadline, I think it just generally feels like intensity and scrutiny on individual situations with the trade deadline day looming and all of that. It does intensify. There's no question about that. So I think this is good management by Panarin and Milstein to just pump the brakes a little bit. You know, I I think in the first half of the season, you know, maybe Columbus was doing well and and there was no reason for Panarin to revisit the storyline. There was no reason for Dan Milstein to say publicly what his intentions were at that stage because he didn't entirely know. It's a long year. He had to meet and talk with Panarin, and he did that a number of times over the course of the All-Star break. And I applaud them for coming out now and and being honest and saying that they are not negotiating in season. But uh, they will tell you now that their position didn't change from the offseason, but it sure felt like it was changing in the first half of the year. And Maybe that was just by design to keep things as uh, clean and as nice in the sandbox as they could moving forward. Yeah. But you know, one thing I want to add, Scotty, is that we were we were kind of talking about this off air at TSN last night. But what's interesting to me is that is that you know I don't think most people truly endorse the own rental um, argument, and 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 I'm not saying that that's what I would do in this position. I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is a really awful position to be in either way. But if you're the Blue Jackets. So so let's say that uh, you trade Panarin to uh, I'm just going to pick a team the Boston Bruins. I'm not saying the Bruins are going to make an offer, but let's we know they want to upgrade. So he's going to the Bruins now, is he? Okay. No, I'm no, t- no. I'm just I, tweeting I, that out now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so let's just pretend Theor- theoretically everyone's going to react the same way regardless of what the Bruins give up. Okay, the, you know, it's a first, it's a young NHL player, it's a prospect, and I think people are going to say the Bruins are going for it. They're a hell of a team. Good on on Sweeney. He just picked up the number one rental of the year. And that's the way we should react. So here's my question to you. If you think Columbus is a decent hockey team and that the Metro division is wide open, why wouldn't you react the same way if the Blue Jackets self-acquired Artemi Panarin? I'm just putting it out there. It's an interesting psychological sort of play because we're not used to thinking the game that way, right? Right. Well, because it's, I know he wasn't a uh, Columbus prospect per se, but they, you know, he has, 
you know, he's been part of that team for the last two or three years. He's, you know, they've been to the playoffs together. He feels like he's their own product on some levels. And that I think there is a sense of, well, if he walks, then we, then we've wasted that asset somehow. I I understand what you're saying. Um, And and I, I get that it's, some guys don't, it, it, it feels different if it's your own guy, as opposed to if you've actively gone out and acquired someone, even though you know that they're likely going to leave in July, right. it's, there is a different mindset to it. But, uh, and well, I, I don't want to, yeah, go ahead, Darren. Yeah. And, and guys, isn't there a financial attachment to this? I mean, aside from the obvious of, of trying to invest in, and keep Panarin long-term. I mean, that, that's probably option A, if you're Yarmo Kekalainen or, you know, John Davidson or the ownership of, of uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. But those playoff gates matter too, don't they? So, you know, you're moving out Artemi Panarin in theory, and I think that we feel like it's more likely that they're going to at least consider and, and perhaps trade Artemi Panarin between now and February 25th. But you wrestle with that financial element to it versus what is the return? And that's what we don't know. Players of this significance aren't often available be it as a rental or otherwise. They're just, they're just not. Artemi Panarin, frankly, is a game changer. And we know that the, the Blue Jackets would like to get a center, but who are we talking about here? And, and is that player going to be able to step into their lineup and do what Artemi Panarin could do from an offensive leadership perspective to keep them as competitive as they need to be in the playoffs? So there's a whole lot of... There's a whole lot of back and forth. And, and as Yarmo said in his, uh, in, in his interview the other day, I mean, they know that they've got tough, hard decisions that have to be made, but this isn't his first rodeo. And, and he's more than willing to have to make those tough decisions. It's just going to be curious to see who among the, the contending teams for Panarin are willing to step up for a package that, who knows, guys, it, 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 it may be record-setting for a rental player. It might be mm-hmm. record-setting. Okay, well, let me, so I don't want to, you know, sort of pound the Columbus thing too much, but let me ask you this question, and, uh, you know, you, you're you right, the Metro is wide open, right? I mean, the Capitals are winless in seven as we're chatting here. I mean, the Islanders, oh my goodness, yeah, we, how they end are in first place, I do not know, but Barry Trotz is, whatever they're paying them, it's not enough, but it is wide open right. in the Metro, and I'll at, let me ask you this question then, given how given the Sergei Bobrovsky situation, both contractually and obviously being at odds with his teammates and his coach and presumably management on, on a variety of levels this season. And the fact is he has not been very good, right? He's sitting now at a 902 save percentage. His GAA is 297. His career save percentage, by the way, is 0.919. So he's way off the career mark. Pierre, you mentioned uh, coming out of the break and a loss to to a, a sliding Buffalo team. That's, you know, Sergei Barbarowski allowed four goals in that loss. He has not been the player that we have seen win Vezina trophies. And we know historically, that he struggled in the playoffs. It, it, I'm, to your point, Darren, it's it's hugely important for Columbus and a lot of those middle market teams to make the playoffs financially. It's a huge crushing blow if you don't make the playoffs. I, I'm wondering if they can make the playoffs. If Sergei Bobrovsky saves that team, and Pierre, let me let's start with you. It, 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 does that has that changed the dynamic? Because I think we've just assumed, well, you know, Bobrovsky is an elite goaltender and he's going to help them get to the playoffs. I don't know if they can get to the playoffs when he's playing at this level. 
Well, and it's easy to play armchair quarterback, but now that we've, you know, we've sort of unearthed some details over the last few weeks about what went down last summer, including the fact that Bobrovsky's camp, led by agent Paul Theofanis, gave the Blue Jackets uh, a list of teams. Now, I don't think that they waived their no-move in doing so. I think the idea was, here's a list of teams, and if, you know, if the, if the trade makes sense, then we'll waive. And I, and I don't know that Columbus was on board with that sequence of events. So it, whatever the case is, Columbus decided not to move him last summer. And we may look back and say maybe they should have because, you know, when a guy hints that, that he's, well, doesn't hint. He told him he's not signing and uh, here's yeah. a list of teams. What does that tell you? So, and it's easy to say that now. I mean, I mean, because it certainly, there's still, I mean, what if Bobrovsky turns the season around here and, and brings them into to the conference finals? Then we'll say, you know what? Well, worth it. So the story's still being told. I, I do think that as, you know, I, I think right now where it stands on Bobrovsky is that it's a much more difficult proposition for them to deal him, which is, doesn't mean that he won't be dealt because of all the, the no movement uh, ramifications to it and the control of the process that the player has. And I also think in the perfect world, and no one's told me this, but I'm just, this is my own read on it. I suspect that Bobrovsky would only move at this point during the year if he can get an extension in the process with the new team. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot at stake here in that end in terms of whether or not Kai Kalanen wants to go that route with him. And number two, if he does trade him, Either in that trade or in a separate trade, he has to go get a goalie. He can't just put all his eggs in the in the Corpy Salo basket. Um, and so there's that to consider. Just like if he trades Panarin, he's got you know he's going to go trade for a center or, or a forward. And the one thing I would look for, guys, and I just thought of this today. I didn't think of this yesterday. I wonder if Kalanen, before he decides on Panarin, first goes out and makes his hockey deal, because either way, he, I think he needs an upgraded center no matter what happens with Panarin. So. Maybe that's his focus right now is I got to go out and get a center. And if he's able to pull that off over the next couple of weeks, it takes a bit of pressure off making the ultimate decision on Panarin either way. Yeah. Darren, what do you, what, what do you make of that? Do you, I mean, you mentioned the, the Metro. I mean, when you look at the Metro, you think, well, okay, what's, you know, how, how does this unfold? Where, where is the balance of power there? And how do, how do the Blue Jackets fit into that? Well, it's a tough one to say the least. I mean, Pierre articulated all the uh, permutations that, you know, have kind of infected this process. And at the end of the day, even though Columbus is trying to maintain control, uh, Sergei Perbovsky is the one that, that ultimately has it. I mean, if he wants to dig in, and there's no reason to think that he's not going to, and compete as, he, as, as hard as he has to, then I, I still like the chances of the Columbus Blue Jackets. But if he flips a switch and comes back and doubles down and says, all right, well, I want out. And Sorry, boys, I'm choking on my coffee. Um, it's emotional. Then, it's emotional talking yeah, about this. I know. <laughs> yeah, it certainly makes me cry. Um, <laughs> you know, here are the three or four teams that I'm willing to consider. And as Pierre talks about, the only way I'm going to do that is by – signing an extension with one of those three, four teams, well, then that puts the Columbus Blue Jackets in a tough spot. And I don't think for a second that Keiko Linen is, is wanting or willing to do that just yet. He's not looking to do that just yet. He probably doesn't anticipate that they're going to force his hand to do that, but it's a delicate one. The only expectation in Columbus 
is that Brabovsky, you know, is a true pro and gives them a chance to win every time he steps into the crease. And I think that uh, Sergey is willing to try and do that. Yeah. I, I would just say he, he, the, 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 the recent results certainly are that he hasn't been, he just hasn't been good. It's been uh, uh, Corpusalo that has really, you know, sort of carried the ball yeah. as as the team has stayed in in the playoff line. But you know, they're not they're not locked in. All right, we're we're edging towards the end of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and I want to you know, it's, Darren's all emotional. I don't want to just ring yeah. him out here. But, uh, but, 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 but by the way, it's gonna. It's going to cost me a very expensive bottle of wine for. A I wonder. Time. See, I wanted to. That's I wanted to ask what was the deal. A lot of time in Dreg's day. That's. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a nice Brunello or a nice uh, Napa Cab, I think. But All we'll right. see. Yeah, well, we got a big trip coming up to, to Boca, and there's some good wine. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy! <laughs> well, before you, uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, um, before we we go, it, this is a, a really important day. It involves the hockey community, but it's it's bigger than that. And this is uh, Bell. Let's talk um, and to to open discussion on mental health issues and mental health awareness. Um, and I think it, you know, and I'll sound like Eddie Haskell here, but uh, TSN has been so uh, important, I think, in spreading that message and being part of uh, of opening doors and and uh, making sure people know that it. It's important to talk about these issues, and I wonder. Uh, well, Pierre, let's start with you. How how important is it? Maybe are you surprised at at the um, you know, that it's really become part of you know the calendar for you guys in terms of you know what what you what you do as an organization? Yeah, no, I think I mean it makes a huge difference. I know, and I've had people uh, you know in my life uh, affected, and uh, and it's I, I think it's just. You know, the Bell Let's Talk has made such a difference, I can see, in in many lives in terms of people people being more at ease and talking about these things, not just today, but every day. And and I think that there I can you can see in, in society a more natural ease and and I think in, in, in us talking about these things. You know, that the the whole point of this when it started is to end the stigma. And and to not look at people differently if if they need to talk and if they need help and uh, you know I know Dreg sat down with Mike Babcock the head coach of Toronto Maple Leafs uh, for you know for this campaign today and he's become a, a major force in, in this but uh, it's everyone and everyone can make such a difference not just today but in their lives I think and just if you see a buddy struggling and 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 even if he or she's not saying anything just. You know, being able to sit down and, and talk about it, it makes just, it's, it's, I can't say it enough, but it makes such a difference. Well, I mean, the willingness, the openness to now talk about mental health, uh, mental illness, uh, the awareness that now we can, we can proudly say is there and it's, it's continuing to develop is, it's awesome and it's inspiring. There's no question about that. And, you know, just to, to give you a couple of examples, you know, I've, I've done the interview with Mike Babcock uh, for a couple of years back to back now, and he's passionate about it. I mean, this isn't a guy sitting in a chair uh, trying to raise awareness for a good cause or trying to pump up uh, a charity. He has suffered very painful loss in his life personally, as we all have, and he's had to wrestle with some things. And, and he openly talks about how he leans on his wife and his children and the things in his life that keeps him mentally healthy and 
And then I've had the privilege of, of going through a wonderful experience. And I say that very personally, not just professionally, which dates back to last year at this time when, you know, we solved the mystery of what happened to Paul Ranger. You know, a star in the National Hockey League with the Tampa Bay Lightning disappeared. And now we know that he battles depression and, and every day is a struggle, but he's winning that struggle. And so tonight, you know, we're airing an updated version. Uh, it's basically a, a 30 minute documentary where Paul and his new bride, you know, openly talk about the strides that, that he has made, you know, through his own initiatives and the fact that he's able to speak so candidly, so openly, so emotionally with young people and hockey players and just general society. I mean, therein lies the victory in all of this. Examples like that. And that does not happen without our parent company, Bell, taking the position that they have years ago to, uh, to raise the awareness that they have. Well, it just, it seems like such a, it seems like such a natural thing that people in whatever walk of life, but when they turn on their TV or they go to social media and they see a story about Paul Ranger and they recognize him as an NHL player, or they recognize Mike Babcock speaking from the heart about these issues, or even earlier this year, I think of Robin Leonard and his very personal discussion of what he went through uh, in trying to, to deal with the drug abuse and mental health issues on his own level. The more this happens, Happens and Pierre, you alluded to it. The more people are 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 less afraid, at least hopefully, the less afraid to come forward and and talk about it and seek help, and because they see it no longer as as being by themselves or something that is singular to them, but as something that happens across society, and that uh, like you know any other issue, that there are places to go and people who will listen to them, and and there are ways to get better. So I I applaud you both for for your work with that and, and, and keep up the, keep up the good work. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it's important stuff. There's no question about it. So there Sounds you go. Great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing it up, my friend. And thanks to Dregs for, uh, taking his time, which is valuable to, uh, to be on with us today. That was fun kicking it around. Yeah. Yeah. Great. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Pierre, thanks for taking care of whatever wine uh, debt that that will cost in making this good. Because make sure it's a good one, because we may have to call Darren again uh, before the end of the season, and uh, it'll be good if, as long as you get him a nice bottle of wine. Just send me the bill. You know, you know, I'm always good for my half of the tax. So. <laughs> That's true. You are actually. All right, gentlemen, that's been a pleasure. Darren, have a good day. Get that coffee in you, Pierre. Let's do yep. it again next week. Sounds Take good, care, well. guys.